Hey, you're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast, weekly produced by the Labor Radio Podcast Network, laborradionetwork.org. I'm Chris Garlock. Hey, if you'd like to meet folks from the network, we'd love to meet you. Join us at this year's Labor Notes Conference, April 19th to 21st in Chicago. Details are at labornotes.org slash 2024. On today's show, Labor Secretary Julie Sue. For too long, we've heard the union's a bad word. And so we have really been working to shift that with every lever that we have. Joelle Salerno and Danielle Hirschman from the National Association of Women in Construction. I know so many women that go on the job site and say, you know, these gloves don't fit me. These boots don't fit me. The, the PPE doesn't fit me. Well, they just can't get in an appropriate size, um, which isn't safe at all. Katarina Chinani discusses allegations of sexual harassment at Perfection Fresh. Regardless of whether the perpetrators of this instance have been terminated, regardless of whether there's policies um, in place, I'm getting a bit tired of corporations hiding behind written policies as a way of saying that they have dealt with this issue. Did the mob control the Teamsters? The president of the Teamsters, Jackie Presser, actually formed an official goon squad with letterhead and a president stuff. And its logo was like a mushroom cloud, blast. Mike talks with Darren about attendance. Instead of trying to retain employees and try to nurture and groom and build great auto workers, what they're trying to do is we create a, a revolving door and a door of disciplinary action to remove people. And remembering the 1997 UPS strike. If you've ever worked in like supply chain operations and you've had to lift 70 pound boxes over and over again, you'll find out how heavy 70 pounds is. Yeah, yeah. And then add another 30 pounds on that and lift that for four hours straight. For 40, 50 years. This week's featured shows are El Cafecito del Dia from the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement, the Construction User 2.0, the podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show focusing on industrial, social, and workplace issues. Roswell Hub, a weekly podcast dedicated to Teamsters helping Teamsters. The UAW 1700 podcast and Labor John, the podcast tackling the working class history of Philadelphia and the surrounding world with comprehensive research and off-color absurdity. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. Bienvenidos al Cafecito del Día, our space to share stories and amplify the voice of our community within the broader context of the labor movement. This episode is brought to you by the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement. Our conversations are inspired by moments of togetherness that nuestra comunidad shares over un cafecito. Bienvenidos, soy Carmen Rodríguez. Hoy compartimos este cafecito del día con la Secretaria de Trabajo, Yuli Su. Gracias, Secretary Su, for being with us today. We'll be talking about your role, Department of Labor's achievements, and what's next for the coming years. Gracias. Es un placer para mí estar aquí con usted tomando un cafecito. To start our conversation, can you highlight some of your key achievements during your term 
as Secretary of Labor. We are seeing a new era of worker power in this country. That's not my achievement. That is the achievement of workers, of the labor movement, and of all of us working together in a moment in which President Biden has been very clear that we can't do right by this country if we don't do right by this country's workers. We're all in for that. As an administration and as the acting labor secretary, I have been supportive during some labor negotiations, making sure that workers get a fair shake, that negotiations result in good deals for workers. Again, unions take the lead in that, but having a labor secretary that is supportive, I have seen, can make a difference, and I'm proud of that. The other thing is, of course, the massive federal investments that are going into the nation's infrastructure and clean energy and manufacturing. We're very focused on making sure that those investments make a real difference in communities and that the jobs that are available, that become available to do them, are good jobs, good union jobs, and that all communities have access to them. And then, of course, you know, I always say this, but all those investments are about building the high road to the middle class. But we can't build the high road if we don't also combat the low road, if we don't stop the exploitation that too many workers have to endure, if we don't end wage theft, and if we don't keep workers healthy and safe on the job. And a lot of the department's work is about doing that enforcement. Those are some of the priorities that I have, and we'll continue to do them. What impact do you believe these achievements and the support have had on labor and Latino workers? Latino workers are represented in all of these industries. Latino workers are auto workers, they're healthcare workers, they're teachers, they work in hospitality, they work in Hollywood. And so an era of worker power can only be good for Latinos who play such an important role in making our economy go. But the other thing that we know is that Latino workers often have to do the most backbreaking jobs in industries. They work in factories, they work in sweatshops, they work in farms. And we need to have enforcement, but we also need to strengthen worker power in order to protect those workers and make sure that everybody who works can make a decent living and have a secure life and have what something the president talks about all the time, which is not just wages, but breathing room. What challenges have you faced in your role and how have you worked to overcome them? This vision of a economy that is centered on workers and of a country that in which unions are strong and does right by working people, it's an ambitious one. It's taking work to build. You know, for too long, we have heard that when workers exercise their power, that that's a threat to business or a threat to security. We know that's not true, but that's a narrative. For too long, we've heard that The massive gap between CEO pay and frontline worker pay is just the way things are going to be. For too long, we've heard the union's a bad word. And so we've really been working to shift that with every lever that we have. And it's not just me as the acting labor secretary. It's the president of the United States. It's the vice president. We're all in on this and in working with unions to do that. But it's not easy. It's shifting the entire way we think about how to build the America that we want. If we Ask first the question, what can we do to do right by working people? We can get a stronger answer. We can get a better answer. But it's not easy to do that. And so we got to keep doing it. We got to do it in partnership with unions. We got to do it in partnership with LACLA. We got to do it with everything that we have in this moment. Thank you so much, Secretary Asu, for being with us today and for sharing all of this information with us. Thank you. Gracias.
Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Today, we have two awesome guests. Joelle Salerno is the Assistant Executive Director for the Western Pennsylvania Chapter of the National Electrical Contractors Association, or NECA. With a strong background in government affairs as a formal congressional staffer, Joelle facilitates and supports innovative change in the areas of emerging markets, workforce development, state-level legislation, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our other guest is Danielle Harshman. She is the Executive Director of the Iron Workers Employer Association in Western Pennsylvania, and she's also the Vice Chair for TALK's Local Employer Organization Committee. As the former director of marketing for Ironworker Local Number no. 3, she has firsthand perspective of both labor and management and the many hurdles faced by both. Both of our guests are members of the Pittsburgh chapter of the National Association of Women in Construction, and that important conversation is what we're here to talk about today. Please help me welcome Joelle Salerno and Danielle Harshman. So, Joelle and Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Construction User 2.0. Thanks for having us, Kirk. Yeah, thank you. So kicking off today, we're, you know, we're talking about NAWIC. Let's hear about it. T- tell me about the mission of NAWIC. NAWIC is the National Association of Women in Construction. And so kind of speaks for itself. NAWIC is about supporting women in construction. One of our, our mantras right now is many paths, one mission. And it just kind of demonstrates how many different paths women take to get into the construction industry. I know Danielle and I have a variety of have many much different routes of getting here. And we're very different than the tradeswomen who come in through apprenticeship or other fields, professional positions. And so there's just so many ways that we all come into the industry. And NAWIC is just about supporting all those women where they are and helping them get to where they want to go. Walk me through a little bit more. What are you guys doing? How are we supporting women in construction or advocating for them? What are the programs and projects you guys are doing? Yeah, I know we we do a lot of, we try to do the networking, like I mentioned, as well as professional development. We try to give opportunities for continuing education, uh, different safety opportunities, especially we're working on an event right now for, maybe Danielle can talk a little bit about it, about safety gear and PPE that's designed specifically for women, since that's still a thing that's really hard to come by for a lot of women who need it. So that's across the country. There are all different kinds of programs that chapters are putting together to advocate and increase awareness of of the needs of women and just give women support for how they can succeed and how they can advocate for themselves and how they can establish themselves in working in a construction environment. Well, Danielle, it sounds like you've actually been tapped in on this one. I, I was actually just talking to Kathy Dobson not too terribly long ago about the uh, the need for better PPE and, uh, and stuff for women. I'd, I'd love to hear you expand on that. Yes, I definitely have Kathy on my list to talk to you about this. So we are actually creating a PPE fashion show, if you will. I want to be involved in this so much. Like, let me know however a talk can help because that sounds awesome. You're in. You're in for sure. Um, so we're gonna we're planning to host it in the fall. But our goal is to, like Joel had mentioned, to bring about different um, companies that do support women's PPE and how you know it's a better fit. Now we talked about recently how OSHA just put out their new information about how it has to be proper fit 
well, I know so many women that go on the job site and say, you know, these gloves don't fit me. These boots don't fit me. The, the PPE doesn't fit me. And, you know, they just can't get it in a small enough size or an appropriate size, um, which isn't safe at all. So we're trying to work with different vendors that we can bring some of this PPE that would actually be more uh, apt for women to wear to uh, the fashion show stage, if you will. <laughs> um, but not so we're crazy, you know, we're, we're still in the construction industry, but it, it, you know, it goes along with trying to, to bring about for women. We're not saying, Hey, look at us. We're different. We, we need this. We demand this, but Hey, if you want us to do these jobs in these roles and you want us to be safe and follow the OSHA regs, then it does need to come down to people looking at it in a different way than they have it before. I mean, I used to run into different iron workers that would say, I have a really hard time finding metatarsal boots or steel toe boots because I can't get them in my size. So that's really, we're trying to bring more awareness to the companies that are offering it and promote it to those here in the Pittsburgh market. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Twelve women, all members of the United Workers' Union, are taking one of Australia's largest horticulture companies, Perfection Fresh, to court, accusing them of not providing a safe workplace free from sexual harassment and assault. The Perfection 12 have now lodged their claim in the federal court and their organiser, Katerina Chinani, joins me on today's Stick Together. I'm Katerina Chinani. I am a director at the United Workers Union and I am part of the farm organising campaign. Thank you so much, Katerina. Workers at, Feder- at Perfection Fresh have levelled accusations of sexual harassment at the company's officials. What's the story here? Yeah, so we have 12 very brave union farm women who've come forward with allegations of sexual harassment and abuse, um, which occurred over uh, 2020 and 2021 at the Glass House, which is in Two Wells in South Australia. And those allegations are systemic, repetitive stories of pretty horrific abuse and harassment, everything from being propositioned for sex to inappropriate sexualized language, all the way to groping and assault. Um, one woman has a hundred instances of groping that occurred to her, occurred to her in um, this glass house, and the perpetrators were team leaders and growers. So there are multiple perpetrators as well. It isn't just 12 women and one perpetrator. It is 12 women and two different perpetrators. So it's an ongoing systemic problem. And this case is the largest, um, we believe, largest sexual harassment case that's been brought forward, but it's been brought forward by working class women of colour, which in itself is something we should recognise and show solidarity with. Well, the media reports are saying that those two individuals are no longer employed. Does that resolve the issue in your mind? Quite simply, not at all. 
it's great that the perpetrators have been terminated. However, if we look at this company, the Perfection Fresh Glasshouse at Two Wells, or we look across this sector, we know this is a systemic issue. We know this is something that occurs regardless of whether the perpetrators of this instance have been terminated, regardless of whether there's policies um, in place. And I'm getting a bit tired of corporations hiding behind written policies as a way of saying that they have dealt with this issue. We had this issue come up of sexual harassment in 2015 in this workplace. It's part of an ABC documentary called Slaving Away with two Taiwanese backpackers. Now we've had instances with these 12 women in 2020 and 2021. And since we've launched the case, we are getting messages from women and also people in the community about other instances occurring in farms around sexual harassment. So we know that actually terminating the perpetrator isn't enough, that there is an ongoing problem, a systematic problem, and that there are some drivers to that. And we need to actually change that the work in that glass house so that women are safe workers are safe and they have a path to bring forward complaints without retaliation tell me about perfection fresh what kind of company is it I love that you've asked me this question because uh when we get up and start to talk about farms and produce and um, the workers in this sector, uh, there's a lot of, once again, a lot of stereotypes about what it means to be an agricultural company in Australia. Perfection Fresh is one of the largest horticultural companies in Australia. They're a grower, so they have their own farms, but they're an aggregator, which which means that they work with multiple farms around the country um, to kind of, you know, aggregate produce and market and, and, and market them under their brand. In this facility where this issue occurred, there are roughly around 800 workers, but only 200 are in secure work. So that goes back to my, you know, back to the thing about the driver of the the issues in the workplace is that the 600 workers who are part of their, their workforce are in insecure employment, temporary insecure models that actually in itself means that they that there's a level of fear that's brought into the employment model when they speak out. It's not your mum and dad farm. This is big corporate capital wealth agricultural company and they supply the supermarkets that are making billions of dollars profit and a lot of it is coming from this fresh produce area so we're talking about wealth and so we're talking about 12 women you know on a palm program on a v on visas who've stood up against the big corporate giants and said you need to make these workplaces safe for us and for everyone my name's giselle hannah remember wherever you are whatever you do there's a union for you and until next time stick together and keep safe
seas we must fight for From the cities and the farmlands to trenches full of what is going on everybody so today i have the mother trucker herself diana kilmurray and the founder of tdu ken path and we're going to be covering you know we see a lot of these movies where the mob is interjected with the union and all that we don't know how true all that is so i brought these two on here to kind of cover what they went through uh back in the past ken um you've seen a number of things but I, we're curious like where are some of the stories that you heard uh, throughout your years with the Teamsters, and what are some things that you went through personally going through all this? Didi was born officially in 76, informally a little before that, like Diana said, in 75. And uh, Teamsters cared about corruption, but even more, even more, they cared about crappy contracts. Remember, Hoppe disappeared in 75, and any hope that he was going to come back and spruce up the union from Frank Fitzsimmons, who much preferred golfing with Nixon to doing anything for members, uh, was gone. And that was when there was some momentum to form a group. And other people had tried to form uh, dissident groups, and I studied them. I met with them. I traveled to meet people. They had a group called TURF, I love the name, from the grassroots, Teamsters United Rank and File. Uh, and uh, it came and went, but I, I learned a lot from uh, things to do and not to do. And one of the things we did was, and I stress this, we're gonna be open. Many, many people were dissident in the Teamsters and 90% of them were trying to hide out and use fake names and issue unsigned leaflets and stuff. And I said, they're gonna know who you are, the officials are and the companies and the workers aren't. We're, we're aiming the wrong direction. And so it did put a target on us. And uh, like in my local, we were attacked for going to a union meeting with leaflets. And one guy went to the hospital with a bunch of stitches in his head. But we just kept coming back. Now, with Diana, you've, uh, you know, you were a, a VP with Ron Carey and everything else. What are some of the stories that you went through uh, during those years? Well, the things that stick in my mind um, is, um, you know, one of the early conventions that I attended, I think it was the third one, but anyways, it was in Ypsilanti. And and back in the day, uh, you know, we, we would be billeted in some student housing or something. So I come out in the morning and there's like bullet holes stitched up the glass. And I thought, oh my God, what is going on here? And then, you know, there was uh, another one in, uh, believe it or not, you know, the Teamsters aren't, aren't anything if they're not in your face. The Brotherhood of Loyal Americans and Strong Teamsters, BLAST. So BLAST, you know, invades the uh, convention. We were in Romulus, Michigan, and, you know, they took over the mic or, or whatever. But, you know, basically, um, you know, people said, well, aren't you afraid? And I said, well, you know, I'm not sure I'd be quite so mouthy if I lived in New Jer Jersey or New York or Chicago or, or something. But, you know, I get to go home back home to Vancouver, B.C., where, you know, the mob isn't around every, every, every corner. And I said, you know, the worst they've done to me is... Um, 
you know, phone phone me up from time to time and, uh, you know, scare the bejesus out of my then teenage daughter. She's almost 60 now, so it shows you how long I've been around. Diana reminded about me of uh, Blast. And the president of the Teamsters, Jackie Presser, actually formed an official goon squad with letterhead and a president <laughs> stuff. And its logo was like a mushroom cloud, Blast. And they would send people to TDU, and he would pay them to go to TDU meetings and rough people up. Uh, and it was intimidating, but things have a way of like that of backfiring. That became predicate, those became predicate uh, charges in the consent order against the Teamsters. Uh, the racketeering suit included all the blast stuff. And he, he had to take the Fifth Amendment. He was called before the President's Commission on Organized Crime. And they were saying, did you form a group called Blast? I take the Fifth Amendment. Did you say, uh, did you brag? Uh, we're going to hit him harder and harder and harder. I take the Fifth Amendment. Well, he was just digging his own grave for the racketeering suit. So that's all I have, everybody. Love you. And I'll see you next time. Local 1700 brothers and sisters. Today I'm down here with Big Sauce. What up, though? What up, though? Local 1700 chassis gang. Those who don't know who Big Sauce is, or you probably know him, but don't know that nickname. That's Theron Jackson. He's the shop chair, along with being the committee man for chassis. Number one department in the plant. I think 1700 came out in the lottery today, I think. Somebody told. Yeah. Man, don't tell me that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't miss my number. Don't it, tell it didn't me fall that. It involved 17. It felt like 0071 or something like that. But Man. I heard it fell out. Um, I think it was, yeah, in the midday, I believe. I could be wrong, but I'm almost 90% sure that I'm right. If it wasn't today, it was yesterday. And I know one person that got, I know two people. One of them talked to me and confirmed it. So um, I just need everybody to understand that attendance is very important. The company is going to be actively, and I use the word actively because remember it's us against them, them against us. At the end of the day, it's those who got the long-range plan is going to win. The company is actively looking to terminate people. That's fucked up. I got to say it that way, but it is what it is. They're actively looking, and they're using the contract that we just signed as, as, a, as they weaponizing it, in a sense, against you. Instead of trying to retain employees and try to nurture and groom and build great auto workers, what they're trying to do is we create a, a revolving door and a door of disciplinary action to remove people. I can hear everybody saying like, well, you know, that's what the union for, you know, fight where y'all at. We there, we fighting. Some of us be dead wrong and then some of us oh, be, be suspect. Oh, and then what make it even worse is we talk about it in every orientation. And I know some of us like Ryan, we didn't get to do orientation with you because we came in at the same time or some of my dinosaurs be like, young fellow, when I did orientation, you was in elementary school. And mm. I laugh, but I do want to say that it be our own people. We get we get our, we get each other in trouble. 
I come up there and I got to look at a case and I got eight union member statements against one of their own. And they look wow. at me and say, Ryan, you, it's, it's not management. It's your people that's saying they doing this. So wow. I'm getting people fired with eight statements attached to it. So I want to say, you know, get yourself together. This is the time of year that they always look to terminate. But now with this new company, it's not even just going to stop with this first quarter. It looked like it's going to continue through the whole year. So we got to get it right and just keep it right. And get it right. Keep it right. Um, it's important. Podcast. Seize the means of podcasting yes. and then seize the means of production. The scab buster. Oh, no, it is a small world after all. Keep together strong. Let that be your mantra. Hello and welcome to the Labor John Podcast. My name is young Sam James. Now we're going to go right into the episode. Gabe, what are we going to talk about? So, uh, over the summer, we we almost had a UPS strike, right? Yes, that almost it, did happen. Yeah. Now, surprisingly, that was not the first time that workers at UPS had ever gone on strike. Or this, is the first, this is the first I'm hearing about this, Gabe. We're not going to get too deep into the history of UPS. Um, basically, they... Uh, gobbled up some other smaller delivery companies um and they just grew like exponentially throughout the 20th century um and they were primarily focused on package delivery and uh specifically the like last mile delivery okay um so they would take on contracts with other companies who might have like a larger shipping fleet and then they would do the final delivery or the other companies might have like a tractor trailer shipping fleet and then they would give a package to UPS which would then do that last mile delivery from the distribution center to the final destination sure okay um now all of that takes a lot of truck drivers a lot of packers a lot of unpackers people offloading so loading and offloading uh, a lot of clerks and just a huge amount of people to make all of this happen uh specifically 185,000 people wow. nationwide by 1997 wow. so we're going to fast forward to 1970s um the base a lot of teamsters were getting very fed up with the amount of corruption and lack of internal democracy within the union uh and in 1976 an organization called teamsters for a democratic union was founded uh which was basically an internal reform caucus uh trying to get the or, or trying to get the union to be more democratic uh and to be more like rank and file militant led i like it okay and finally, we're instrumental in getting a guy named Ron Carey, who is the, he wasn't a TDU member, but he was like their preferred candidate for Teamsters president. Okay. So he went in on a platform of like performing the union, making but it more democratic and not going as far as the TDU would have liked him gone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so that now brings us up to all of the bullshit that the Teamsters put up with with UPS in the 90s. Oh, Jesus. Because uh, the other side effect of years of 
crappy leadership was that they had really shitty contracts. I'm yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um. So, uh, in 1991, they uh, basically were forced into a, a pretty terrible contract. Uh, they had another one in 1993, which they fought uh, a or they had a one day strike in protest uh, after the contract because. Uh, UPS was raising the maximum weight limit on a package from 70 to over 100 pounds. Yeah. Um, and like by itself, that doesn't sound like much. But if, when... you, if you've ever worked in like supply chain operations and you've had to lift 70 pound boxes over and over again, you'll find out how heavy 70 pounds is. Yeah. Your and back then... will find out a lot quicker than your brain. Yeah. And then add another 30 pounds on that and lift that for four hours straight. For 40, 50 years. Yeah. And then, yeah. So there you go. You're a UPS uh, driver delivery person. Yeah. They, Packer, unpacker, loader, unloader. They put up with a lot of shit. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Just a small sample of the amazing programs aired over the last week on more than 100 Labor Radio and Podcast shows. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the network shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them. Use the hashtag LaborRadioPod on X, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to meet folks from the network, we'd love to meet you. Join us at this year's Labor Notes Conference, April 19th to 21st in Chicago. Details are at labornotes.org 2024. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show. Our social media guru, as always and forever, is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock urging you to stay active and, of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. 